Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend Liz Felstrin in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? Hi, Alan. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. We took a, a week off at a time when there was a lot of stuff going on in Israel. We had the tragic shooting up in front of the synagogue in Neve Yaakov, a shooting in, in the old city, lots of stuff going on. Um, and it's also the holiday of Tu B'Shvat, which I'm sure we'll talk about at the close of our podcast. Um, are you seeing anything new and interesting come, taking place in Israel these days? Uh, so first and foremost, always, right? We We took a week off, but the world did not take a week off around us. And you know, wouldn't wouldn't you know it? When we took a week off, there was plenty of news and things. In this case, you know, very tragic one happening in Israel. I am, and you know, we've talked about this before. That just in general, you know, what what is the mood in Israel? Sort of when we have right uh, incidents like this, and incidents I realize is really not a. Uh, not a strong enough word, right? People, people were killed. Um, but in Israel, unfortunately, it's it is in a lot of ways a a part of life. Um, I think every community, every place that one could choose to live has different fears that they need to worry about and dangers that are, you know, possible in that environment. And and in here, violence, unfortunately, is one of them. Um, and certainly when you have two close together like that, you always start thinking like, oh, okay, is this going to be the beginning of, you know, a, a spate of such incidents? And in this case, it seems not that it was limited to those two, thank God. Um, and the rest of the week was quiet. So I would say from an Israeli perspective, you know, absolutely, you know, a tragedy and absolutely a reason for us to keep thinking about, you know, what are the underlying causes of these kind of incidents and what are the ways that we can be more prepared to prevent them, stop them from happening. I am. That's a pretty good. It's also. Yeah, it's a pretty good analysis of kind of the scope of the events. Um, One of the things you and I've talked about before is after an event like this, sometimes there are public gatherings, rallies, demonstrations, protests. I've been following that in Israel, there have been a series of Saturday night demonstrations, protests, rallies. And the one last week, after the shooting at the synagogue in Nevayako, there was a very large demonstration in Tel Aviv and across the country. I'm just wondering if you have seen an increase in the demonstrations, gatherings of people in support or being challenged by certain things going on with the new government? So I think the series of protests that you're referring to, which now we're sort of five weeks into it, of regular protests, is definitely growing. And yes, a week ago, those protests, many of them started with a moment of silence or something similar because of the shootings that happened uh, on the Friday night and Saturday morning directly preceding. 
Um, but the, the two aren't, you know, particularly closely linked, right? Um, the, these protests aren't specifically about something that has to do with, you know, how Israel deals with Palestinians or security issues or, or something like that. It really is very much about the reforms to the, to the judicial branch. Um, and, and it is growing. Um, they're continuing to happen in various cities in Israel regularly. Their turnout is getting larger and larger. And I've also read that there are protests of Israelis and Israel supporters going on in many other places in the world. I think there are over a dozen cities now that have had, you know, significant enough to make the news protests by Israelis living in those places who also want to show their solidarity um, their belief that, you know, democracy in Israel is in danger and that this is the time to make their voices heard and to say, you know, there, there is a limit to what is a reasonable um, adjustment to the balance of sort of checks and checks and balances in Israel. Well, that's a good that's a good way to look at it. The checks and balances part. It's the public voice and the public opinion about how things are being changed by the government. You mentioned the history or the the protests that's taken place over the past five weeks. My experience in Israel is that it's a pretty regular occurrence to see a rally or a demonstration or a protest um, on street corners over a variety of different topics. It can be anything from the cost of bread to, you know, political issues. Have you seen over your time in Israel an impact that demonstrations, protests, rallies have on changing policies or issues that take place on a daily basis in Israel? That's kind of a wide ranging question, but I, I think what I want to ask, what I really want to ask you is, what do you see as the the positive uh, return on the investment of time in a protest or demonstration, and do you see that on a consistent or regular basis uh, in Israel? Yeah. So, so sort of the biggest question you asked, right? What is the impact of protests in Israel? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to answer that one, but I can say a few things sort of around that space. One is that you're definitely right that one, if you're in the Tel Aviv area, if you're in the Jerusalem area, it's that you do see a lot of protests happening in Israel. Um, uh, specifically in Jerusalem, right, people historically have protested outside of the prime minister's residence and outside of the Knesset. One uh, can drive past those two locations and almost always see some group of people camped outside protesting. And it could be on any given day on any one of a million different issues, right? I have seen people protesting in groups like that about uh, Ethiopian Israelis' blood donations not being used uh, fairly enough. I have seen protests from a company called Walt, which is like the equivalent of DoorDash in the States, right? It's how people order delivery of food. I've seen their workers protesting because of some change to the tax law that was detrimental to them. Um, I've seen groups of Israeli tour guides protesting because during COVID, when there were no tourists coming into the country, they felt that the government wasn't doing enough 
to help them out with the with salaries um and and on and on and on right there are a million different groups that one can see protesting so yes it is sort of a common part of the culture here what is its impact what does it do it's hard to know there are a few examples that i think people would point to and say that it made a difference um but that's often very hard to put to put one's finger on right did it really make a measurable difference i will say that it seems at least to me that in today's modern environment with mass media being what it is and social media being what it is that protest has the potential to be even more impactful than it has ever been in history because when one group of people decides to protest, it's not only the people in their immediate vicinity who see it and know, okay, this is a topic that people feel strongly about that is shared, right, in all of the channels around the world in real time. And every person who's participating in these protests is not just another pair of feet marching along. They're a pair of feet and a smartphone in their pocket that connects them and what they're doing to all of their social networks, right? With a few clicks, we can say, I went to this protest and here's why, and this is why I think it's important. And to let other people who may not know that this issue is even happening know about it, which is why um, you know, we see that there are these many protests by Israelis outside of Israel and Israel supporters going on right now um, to wanting to show their solidarity with, with the topic and what's going on in Israel. So primarily what we're seeing now are people demonstrating in opposition of the current government because of some of the policies that this current government has put into place, not necessarily put into action or or um confirmed, but it presented them as changes uh, in response to the previous government. So in my mind, it's pretty surprising to see, you know, so many people around the world, not in support of the current government, but in opposition publicly to what this current government is putting, the current Israeli government is putting forth. And the main one that we see is the, the judicial reform issue that you and I have talked about before, but there are several other issues as well. Um, but it is it is gathering attention. You mentioned that it's more than just two feet at the at the protest that the social media plays into it well. And it plays into it in a variety of different ways, positive and negatively. And we've been seeing that in America with uh, shootings, police shootings that have taken place where the power of the independent cell phone journalist is telling the story in a very different way. Uh, Look, yes, social media has, right, it's a double-edged sword. It will always have ways that it uses its power for good and ways that it gets harnessed that maybe we wish wouldn't happen. Um, But I think when it comes to something like real people having the opportunity to tell their individual story, right, for one person to be able to say, I'm engaging in this protest and here's why. I am. 
that that is an excellent example of the positive power of social media, right? It's giving all of us an opportunity to see what other people feel so passionate about that they are moved to to get out and and protest about it. And that gives us an opportunity to decide for ourselves, is this something that I agree with? Is this something that I don't agree with? Is this something that I need to better understand? You know, why is this issue causing so many people to become vocal? Um, And I think the reason why the judicial reform is that kind of an issue is because it has the potential to have such a long lasting impact, right? It's one thing if the government that's in power today isn't the government that maybe you would have voted for. We're all, we've all had that multiple times in our lives, right? The, the balance of power, the pendulum swings from one side to the other. And sometimes the person that we voted for is the person in office and sometimes they're not. But when the changes that the person in office is making are ones that it seems will have significant impact for multiple years and governments to follow, I think people get more concerned. And it's like in the states where you have a a president that has the opportunity to appoint multiple members of the Supreme Court, let's say, right? It's the same kind of thing, because when you change the power and the balance of the judicial branch, that is something that will impact the tenor of the country for a very long time. And just as people in the States were very, you know, vocal about their thoughts when, you know, in recent years, there were new members coming on to the Supreme Court. I think it's, you know, a pretty close parallel that now you have Israelis saying, you know, that they feel that the changes that are being proposed for the Israeli a judicial judiciary are not to their liking or not appropriate or too far reaching or what have you. That's a pretty good uh, breakdown. Uh, in America, oftentimes when there's a, a protest, there's a counter protest. Are you seeing counter protests or counter demonstrations in Israel alongside the large um, demonstrations that are taking place? I have not seen anything about counter demonstrations and, you know, to a certain extent that makes sense because the people that are, would be the counter protests are the people that are at this point in time in power, right? So they actually don't need mass protests in order to have their voices heard. They already have a voice and they already have the ear of the media. They can call a press conference whenever they want. They can make a statement whenever they want and it'll be carried just as far as 10,000 or 100,000 people, you know, protesting in the streets. So I think when the the anti are the people that are in power, it's less likely that we're going to see um protests from that for that viewpoint. That's a, that's a that's good. That's a pretty interesting uh ex- explanation of if i'm in power i don't need to protest <laughs> i mean it doesn't always work right but um for it's now inter- it seems to be enough it's interesting that judicial reform judiciary is- or jewish jewish judiciary issues are something that's very common now around the world in terms of who puts a judge into office and who doesn't 
So I think we have to pay attention to that. It's created quite a stir. And I know that uh, the current president, President Herzog, has to play a unique role in mediating this issue. And I'm sure we'll follow that uh, in, in the coming weeks. Yeah, he is sure trying, right? He is saying all the right things about the need for this to not be kind of a zero-sum conversation that for the benefit of the whole country, each side should understand that to make compromises is not to to give in or for, you know, or to let somebody else win. It is, in fact, for the good of the country to come to a compromise, to come to a solution that allows everyone to feel heard and to move forward. Um, so he is saying all of the right things. Uh, and and I think would genuinely do them, right, and mediate toward that kind of a solution if he's given the opportunity. I'm not sure to what extent um, people in power inside Israel are are looking to him to do that. Certainly, I think in the diaspora, people are listening to what he's saying and can feel a little bit perhaps uh, you know, their minds eased by knowing that, okay, here's one sort of rational, calm person speaking out in, in, in Israel. Um, but I don't know that he's going to be called upon to actually do real mediation between the sides here in Israel. So, so as a figurehead, he doesn't really have a lot of power, but he does have influence. Um, so uh, I want to move on a little bit. So today is the holiday of Tubishvat. One of the things. Happy Tubishvat, everybody! <laughs> one of the things I've asked you to do is kind of uh, take a uh, a street vendor's view of the different uh, celebratory treats that take place during the holidays. You and I both enjoy the holiday of Hanukkah and Sufganiyot. What are you seeing with um, Tubishvat? So the. Foods of Tubishvat include many different forms of dried fruit and lots of different nuts, natural, roasted, salted, sugared, candied, all different kinds. Um, also, some like fruit tea mixtures, which are like a bunch of different kinds of dried fruit sort of chopped up together. Um, and specifically in terms of things I've seen this year that are maybe a little different or a little new. So I saw some dried pineapple, which is not unusual, not new, right? We've had dried pineapple for a while, but these came in all different colors. I'm not quite sure why. I think they're just, I mean, I'm pretty sure pineapples are always yellow, and I think these were just dyed different colors, but I saw ones that you could buy. They were also, they were pineapple, but some were green, really bright green. Some were yellow and some were orange. So I'm not sure what was going on there, but they were different. So is it a, is a, is a coating, a candy coating that goes over it, or is it injected? With no, 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 no. The whole thing, like they must be dyed, I guess. The whole thing solid through, you know, their dried fruit is kind of like, uh, they're not opaque, but not. Transparent, they're sort of trans, they're not really translucent, but they're somewhere on that scale. Yeah. Um, and so they've definitely, you could see all the way through, they were that bright color. 
Um, I also saw these cube-shaped uh, dried mango. You know, usually the dried mango that we see here is kind of a strip. It looks almost like a, I don't know, like a shoehorn or something. Uh, but these are not. These were not long and thin, but in fact, were like a little cube of dried mango. So that was something different that I saw shape-wise. Um, and we also have, I think, more and more of the dried fruits, which are without added sugar. You know, dried fruits often have a lot of sugar added to them. But now, I guess for, for health reasons, which is a very good reason, um, you see more and more where the place has both kinds. So you can get dried mango with sugar and dried mango without added sugar. You can get banana chips with added sugar and without added sugar. You can get, you know, all the different fruits. Well, it's good. Um, it's but they good. have everything. They have dried kiwi and coconut and um, uh, wild strawberries, if that's what they're called in English, and uh, all all different kinds. Papaya. Well, well, thank you for reporting on both the healthy and the not so healthy treats of Kibrisvat. <laughs> um, the next holiday we have coming up, not for another month, but is Purim. And uh, that's always a delicious holiday. So I'm sure that you'll and be... And you should know that the Humantashen are already out. Really? This past week, oh yes. I saw multiple places all at Humantashen. They're getting ahead of the game on that one. And they're officially out in stores. Yes. <laughs> so I'll ask you to keep an eye on the variety of Humantashen, although the shapes don't change that much. But uh, maybe there's some creative... The fillings do, Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Liz, any anything else you want to add today? Uh, that's it. Wishing everyone a very good and safe and healthy week ahead. And thank you all for listening to Israel Rebound, a podcast touching on everything from politics to, to food uh, from Israel and America and around the world. Thank you all for listening. This has been Israel Rebound.